God calls us to worship from Psalm 100 this morning. Make a joyful noise to the Lord, all the earth. Serve the Lord with gladness. Come into his presence with singing. Know that the Lord, he is God. It is he who made us and we are his. We are his people and the sheep of his pasture. Enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Give thanks to him. Bless his name for the Lord is good. His steadfast love endures forever and his faithfulness to all generations. This year we've been going through the whole Bible together and thinking together through the four-part story of the Bible of creation, rebellion, redemption, and restoration, and thinking together about how that is the reality of our own lives. And so when we come to worship together, we are living out the four-part story together. And so when we come and we acknowledge and confess our sin, we are saying that we are rebellious. We are owning our own rebellion and confessing and acknowledging our need for redemption in Jesus. And so let's do that together this morning. Let's say this confession together uh, out loud and acknowledge our need for our Savior. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, out of the overflow of your love, you made all things good. We were created in your image to love you, each other, and the place you put us. Our lives were covenant, worship, work, rest, and love. But when tempted, we turned away from you and ran headlong into sin and destruction. In this, we brought shame, guilt, and curse onto ourselves and all of creation. Because of this, we spend our days striving to feel fulfilled. But your grace is changing us. Instead of our work being an expression of worship, it is what we look to for our identity. But your grace is growing us. Instead of our relationships being an expression of the love Christ has for us, we often expect others to be our Savior. But your grace is saving us. Thank you that in Jesus we are forgiven. Father, show us that the fullness of your love has come to us in Christ. Jesus, your love for us drove you to the cross to cover our sin with your blood. Convince us that the resurrection means your love has defeated sin and death. Holy Spirit, reveal to us that all of our attempts to be complete apart from Christ are futile. Change us, grow us, shape us by your love. All is grace, all is gift. Amen. Now let's take a few moments to quietly go before our God, confess our rebellion, and confess our need for redemption in Jesus. Gracious Heavenly Father, we confess all of these things in the hope of your mercy to us, which is fully and finally given in your one and only Son, our Savior Jesus. And it is by his blood that we are forgiven of our sins. It is by his wounds that we are healed. Holy Spirit, we pray that you would make us more and more like Christ. 
And it's in his name that we pray. Amen. Beloved, God wants us to be assured of his grace and hear the offer of his grace and forgiveness to us in Jesus. This morning it comes from 1 Corinthians 15. For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures, and by the grace of God I am what I am. And by the grace of God, beloved, we are who we are. And it's that very same grace that saves us, and it's that same grace that grows us and changes us and puts a new declaration on our lips and in our mouth. And so we declare what it is that we believe about what Christ has done and what it is that we believe as Christians. And we're going to do that this morning using the Apostles' Creed. So I will ask us the question, and then let's respond together. Christian, what is it that you believe? I believe in God the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit and born of the Virgin Mary. He suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended to hell. The third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended to heaven and is seated at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From there he will come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. Good morning. It's good to be with you. Look forward to the day when you are able to be here and we are to see each other face to face and talk and catch up. Um, We look forward to that day when we're able to, as an entire church family, be back together uh, worshiping in full capacity with every element and doing all the things together. we thank, uh, we're thankful that you are able to be here, even though it's in this way. Um, and so we're looking together this morning in the book of Acts. We're continuing our study through the scriptures. And today we're going to look at someone um, named Saul, someone that you probably have heard of before. This is a story about his life and how it was radically changed. And it tells us about our lives and how we are radically changed. So if you would, let's read just the first nine verses of Acts chapter 9 together. Um, There's also an account of this in Acts 22, as well as Acts 26. And I'm going to be pulling a little bit from those other accounts where Saul talks about his life and how God changed him. So let's listen to this. This is God's word, Acts chapter 9. But Saul still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues at Damascus, so that if he found any belonging to the way, men or women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. Now as he went on his way, he approached Damascus, and suddenly a light from heaven shone around him. And falling to the ground, he heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he said, who are you, Lord? And and he said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. But rise and enter the city, and you will be told what you are to do. The men who were traveling with him stood speechless, 
hearing the voice but seeing no one. Saul rose from the ground, and although his eyes were opened, he saw nothing. So they led him by the hand and brought him into Damascus. And for three days he was without sight and neither ate nor drank. Would you pray with me? Thank you, Lord, that you give us your word, that you give us opportunities together to look at your word, to understand it, to see what it means, to be reminded as we begin each and every week, to be reminded that our lives are to be about Jesus. Holy Spirit, thank you for working in the authors of this book so that what is written is something we can trust, cling to, even bank our very lives on. So open up our minds and hearts, Holy Spirit. Bring us to Jesus. Bring us to the good news. We pray this, that you might get all glory, Father, Son, and Spirit. We pray this for our good. We pray with confidence because we pray through the blood of our risen Christ. Amen. I'm really enjoying going through this series with you this year of looking at the Bible together, the entirety of the Scriptures, looking through all of the contents of what's in the Bible together. I must say that, like you, um, I am prone to think of life in just two parts, as a two-part story. And I mean that really for you that are listening, whether you believe or whether you don't. We all have a tendency to think of life as just a two-part story. Whether it's those that think that life is just about rebellion and redemption in whatever form, or maybe it's the two-part story that you think about when you realize that you really look at life and people in terms of those who are good people and they're in, and then they're bad people who are out. I struggle to think about life as just a two-part story. And what I've learned over the years is that the Bible is a four-part story, and this has brought tremendous freedom, it's brought tremendous perspective, it has brought tremendous depth into my life. So even though there's still a lot in me that thinks about things in terms of a two-part story, I'm learning, and hopefully I'm learning with you, that the Bible is really a four-part story. And we need all four parts to understand the Scriptures truly. Well, this morning we're looking at a guy named Saul, someone who is absolutely famous in the history of the world. Whether you've had a little bit of exposure to the Scriptures or a lot, if you've read any snippet from the New Testament outside of the Gospels, it's probably been written by this guy, Saul, who was changed to Paul. And here's the point this morning. Like Paul, like what I'm learning, hopefully what you're learning too, this is the point. The four-part story needs to be the reality of our lives. The four-part story needs to be the reality of our personal lives. So let's look at the story of Saul. Let's jump right in to Acts 9. Put yourself in the first century. I mean, last week we looked at Acts 2, and if you don't have any familiarity with the Scriptures at all or where we are in the story, look, in the first century, following the, the death and resurrection and ascension of Jesus, things looked amazing. 
Like people's lives were being changed. God's people were learning and growing. They were enjoying being together. They were enjoying celebrating God. They were praying. They were fellowshipping together. They were building community and, and having an interest in what's going on in the world and being involved. Everything was amazing. But there was also massive threat. There was also a massive threat. Always is, always will be. There was a young man who was prominently known, named Stephen. He was known for being a man of integrity. He was known for being a man who loved the Lord, who was serving others in particular. He had a heart for the community and those who were in need. He had a heart for serving those who were underserved. He had a heart for teaching and explaining the good news. And this prominent figure, Stephen, was seized and ultimately he was stoned. He was stoned to death. So even though the word of God is spreading and, and people are growing, there's always this sense that there's this threat there's this threat to the kingdom. I'm sure if we had been living during that time, we would have thought things were great and we also would have been nervous. We would have wondered, well, what's going to happen next? And it's interesting that the Bible tells us that there was someone who was present there with this death of Stephen. And his name was Saul. He was also well-known. He was well-educated. And he was the one that perhaps either led the charge or certainly approved of and consented to this murder of Stephen. And what needs to be known is this. This guy named Saul, he thought he was 100% in the right. He thought he was 100% right. He thought he was following God. In his heart, he thought what he was doing was honoring to God. He also thought he was right in how he was dealing with others, how he was dealing with other people. He even had permission from those who were in religious power and had religious power and were thought of as those that were prominent figures that this was okay. He was, Saul was going around trying to find those who followed Jesus. And he would arrest them, seize them, find them, threaten, punish, drag out. And he thought he was 100% in the right. His whole world, in his heart, the way he looked at God, the way he looked at others, the way he looked at everything, his whole world was built around the fact that he was right. And he thought that he was in the right. Well, in Acts chapter 9, what happens is that this Saul was actually on the road to Damascus. He was with several of his friends. They were pursuing the, the people who were in the synagogues in Damascus. So he was traveling this way. And when he arrived in Damascus, he was going to look for those who were followers of the way, followers of Jesus. 
And he was going to find them and bring them back to Jerusalem. And he was going to punish them and make sure that others punished them. And as he was on the way, all of a sudden, a bright light shone. And it knocked him off, knocked him to the ground, along with the others that were with him. It was this bright light that shone. Other references in Acts 22 and 26 tell us that it was about noon. He even remembers the time while he was knocked down, while he couldn't see anything, a voice came to him and spoke to him. What happened with Saul on the road to Damascus as he was traveling with his friends was that Saul had an encounter with the risen Christ. And we know this was real and we know this was true because he was blinded by this. If he had physical blindness, it was because there was a physical light. Christ spoke to him and he had an encounter with the risen, reigning Jesus. Well, let's go a little deeper. Remember our point? The four-part story should be the reality of our personal lives. Well, let's dive in and think through what's going on here in Acts 9 through this four-part story. What's going on in Saul's life through the lens of the four-part story. Remember, the first part of the four-part story is creation. You see, as this voice spoke to Saul, it said, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? You see, Saul was hunting down, pursuing, persecuting people. He was thinking that this is the way that I can advance my career, advance my relationship with God, enhance the way others see me is through the way that I am hunting down and pursuing these other people. He was thinking that there are people in the world who are valuable and those who are not valuable. He was thinking this is how I can exert who I am. This is how I can make a name for myself. This is how I can be seen as superior to other people. What was happening is that Saul was revealing that his heart was very, very far away from God. It was revealing that he viewed people as just projects. People that he could use to advance himself. He was not thinking about Human beings as being made in the image of God. He was thinking about them as a way to advance his career and advance himself. Rebellion. Second part of the story is rebellion, right? Think about what this story tells us about rebellion. Not only creation, but also rebellion. Do you notice Jesus speaks to Saul and says, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? You see, rebellion at the end of the day is not just the truth that Saul, like us, breaks the rules. It's not just at the end of the day that we sin against other people 
by thinking that we're better than they are and use them to advance self. At the end of the day, rebellion is first and foremost against Jesus. So that as Saul was pursuing others and as Saul was trying to persecute them, he was actually doing that to Jesus. Rebellion is first and foremost against Jesus himself. What else we learn about rebellion is this whole idea of who is blind and who can really see. You see, when the scripture talks about rebellion, it it oftentimes talks about it in terms of seeing and being blind. You see, spiritually speaking, if someone is blind, they think they can see. Saul, he thought he was absolutely in the right with God. He thought he was in the right with others. He thought he was right about everything. And he actually was absolutely blind. In the scriptures, if someone is blind, they think they can see everything. They think they are right about everything. But the scriptures actually tell us that if you can see, you actually know that you're blind. My dad has horrible eyesight, horrible eyesight. And I remember him telling me that he actually didn't get glasses until he was in middle school, I think maybe even late middle school. And he told me that when he put the glasses on and he went outside, he looked at a brick building and for the first time in his life, he saw that there was mortar between the bricks To see means that you become aware of being blind and what you can't see and haven't seen. Rebellion reminds us that sin is so deep. Sin is so deep that it is deceitful. And it makes us think that we actually are in the right about all kinds of things And the reality is we're blind. And what happens in rebellion is that we actually live out of that blindness. Let's go even deeper. Saul was someone who studied the scriptures. He was someone who was raised in the church. His blindness was so deep that he read the Old Testament He read the stories of the Old Testament. He was trained in the stories of the Old Testament and he never saw Jesus. He heard the Old Testament and was taught the Old Testament and all he thought was rules. He heard about the God of the Old Testament and he didn't think of grace. He thought of rules. He heard the story of the Old Testament and he didn't think all mankind made in the image of God That was absent. He was thinking people or how I can advance self. Saul, Saul knew the scriptures and yet he never saw God. He knew the Old Testament and didn't see Jesus. 
He understood the stories of the Old Testament and didn't see grace. He saw rules, rules, rules. Redemption. The third part of the story is redemption. Again, Jesus speaks to Saul and says, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? You see, in redemption, there is this union with Jesus. As we understand that our rebellion and sin is ultimately against Jesus, what we begin to realize is what is true of Christ is true of me. And what is true of me was true of Christ. You see, there's a union so that our lives are completely connected so that Jesus was made sin for me so that I would receive the righteousness that is Christ's so that instead of me trying to be right and trying to prove myself to everyone else, I literally live by what Jesus has done for me so that I see my life as connected to his from start to finish so that whenever I sin, I recognize, oh yes, he took that for me. He became that for me. He endured the consequences of that sin for me and because of his perfection and because of love, I receive all that he is, righteous, good, forgiven. You see, redemption is about being united to Christ. It is about abandoning who we are and seeing that the only thing we bring to the table is bad. The only thing we bring to the table is rebellion. The only thing we bring to the table is what we think we have done right. And Saul would say much later in his writings that all that stuff that we think is right is just a big pile of crap. And he had to learn throughout his whole life, just like we do, that all of the things that we think are good earn nothing before God. We have to acknowledge and repent of the good things that we think we do. We have to acknowledge that even the best of what we have is filthy and unrighteous so that Jesus has done it all. And all that we bring to the table is a mess you see, redemption means that we are united to Jesus. Redemption is also a process. I know you can read this story in Acts chapter 9 and read about them traveling to Damascus and the light shining and, and knocking them off, perhaps their horses, and falling to the ground and being blind and the voice speaking to them. I know you can read Acts 9 and think to yourself, wow, that sounds like it was pretty immediate. But what you need to remember is this was actually a process. This was a process for Saul. It's a process for you. It's a process for me. It is life long. In Acts 22, when Saul is again talking about this time in his life, not only does he use the word, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? 
Saul also remembers and recounts that there were other words that were said to him. Words like this, Saul, it is hard for you to kick against the goads. You see, Jesus was telling him, not only Saul are you united with me, but I've been at work in your life for a long time. You know, a goad is a, a tool that a shepherd uses. It, it, it's used to help prod. It's used to help move along. It's used to help redirect. It's used to help correct. And God was speaking to Saul in the same way that he speaks to us and says, it's hard kicking against this instrument, isn't it? Saul, your life is actually hard, isn't it? Because you keep thinking you're right and you keep getting nudged and you keep getting pushed and you keep getting prodded and you keep getting redirected. You keep seeing things and hearing things and you know that it's from me, but yet you keep rejecting and denying and walking away from and ignoring and rationalizing. It's hard, isn't it? It's hard when you know there's something outside of you working on you. It's difficult to continue to ignore that and rationalize that. You see, the clearest example we have in the scriptures of this goad, this, what God was doing, how God was at work in Saul's life, was Stephen. You remember that guy who was known in the church as a man of integrity, who cared about those who needed mercy, who needed help? That guy that was seized and stoned to death and Saul was there. He saw it. He even held some garments for people so they could pick up stones and throw it. You see, Saul heard the message of Stephen. He heard Stephen talk about the history that Saul was taught, the history of God's people. Saul heard about what God had done Saul heard about how God's people continued to rebel and treated poorly God's prophets and spokesmen. Saul heard about how the story in the Old Testament talked about the coming one who would be righteous, the righteous one. Saul heard about all of that. Saul knew about all of that. He heard Stephen talk about all of these things and summon people to abandon their way of life and to be caught up into this one story of God. Saul heard Stephen's message. And Saul heard Stephen die and watched it happen. And he saw that as Stephen died, he could talk to the Father. And it was like he saw the risen Christ standing to receive him. Saul observed that Stephen was going to die into the arms of his Savior, anticipating that he would be received, knowing that the Father had loved him and Jesus had loved him, knowing that he was ready to die and be received by his Savior, who loved him, who was standing there to receive him. Saul knew that he didn't have any of that comfort and peace and soul rest that Stephen did. Saul 
observed all of that going on and he knew that Stephen had something that he didn't. God had been working in Saul's life to this moment. God is at work. God in our lives is always, God is always doing things in our lives, always pushing us forward, redirecting, challenging, correcting, encouraging. You see, redemption is always by grace. Redemption is union with Jesus. Redemption is a process. Redemption is grace. God was pursuing Saul. He always had been. God initiated that. God stopped Saul in his tracks. God saved Saul. God saved Saul because Jesus accomplished something. And he was alive. He could exert the power of that death and the power of his resurrection into Saul's life and bring him to life. Redemption has always been by grace and it always will be. Restoration, remember the fourth part of the story is restoration. Remember Saul was set and hell bent on squelching out the church and smashing the church and persecuting the people of the church. In verse 15 and 16 of Acts 9, Jesus tells Saul that he would be used, that he was actually to build the kingdom that he was trying to destroy, that he was going to be part of the kingdom that he hated, and that in the kingdom, he would be someone who would live out the gospel, and he would teach it, and he would preach, and he would plant churches, and he would travel wherever God led him, and he would do the exact opposite of what he was trying to do, that he would live his life for the good of the kingdom. And it wouldn't always be easy. Matter of fact, Jesus tells him specifically that there'd be a lot of things that he would suffer. He would suffer in a lot of ways, and he did. But beloved, Saul was restored to build the very thing that he tried to destroy. Isn't that amazing? It's glorious. It's what happens for all of us. Well, you see, God is at work in Saul's life and in our lives. And what Jesus produced in Saul is the exact same thing that he produces in us. And that is perpetual change. So what I'd like to do is try to think about some of the things that Paul says. Now Saul to Paul that Paul says in the New Testament that reflect that he was continuing to change. And hopefully this will come in even more to our lives and make sense about what's going on here. We all think about growth. We all think about leadership. And we all think about grace. We should. Those are things that are on our minds all the time whether we can articulate them exactly that way or not. Think about what Jesus was producing in Saul and Paul, what he's producing in us. 
Think about the perpetual change that should happen with me, if you will. Think about the perpetual change that should happen in us, as it did with Paul, regarding grace and leadership and growth. At the end of Paul's life, he says, this is a true and trustworthy saying and worthy of all acceptance, that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am chief. I am foremost. At the end of Paul's life, he viewed himself as the chief of sinners. He was not on a trajectory in which he thought growth is that I conquer everything. Growth is that I master life. And at the end of my life, I've mastered it all and I am a sage and I know how to do all this stuff and I have all this experience. Now, the trajectory of his life was at the end, he thought of himself as a great sinner. At the end, what growth looked like for him to the end of his life on his deathbed was, I have been mastered by Jesus and the gospel. And I see myself for who I truly am. And I see Jesus for who he truly is. Are we on that trajectory of growth? What about leadership? Several places in Paul's writings, he says, follow me or imitate me as I follow or imitate Christ. That was his view of leadership among lots of other places. That's one central place, one central idea. And when he says, follow me as I follow Christ, that is not an authoritarian statement. That is not him saying, I am superior to you. I'm further along than you are. Therefore, you have to follow me. Beloved, that was a statement of relationship. That was a statement in which those to whom he said that knew his life. He had lived with them and they had lived with him. They knew who he was. He was saying, as you see me follow Jesus, you can trust and follow me because we're all following Christ and what he is doing. And beloved, the church has been deeply hurt by improper views of leadership. You do realize that for Paul to say, follow me because I have the answers, follow me because I have the skill set, follow me because I have a commanding personality, follow me because I'm educated, follow me because I am willing to do hard things. You do realize that when he did that, when he had that view of leadership, he was persecuting people. He was hunting them down. His view of leadership had, per, had changed and would perpetually change so that he was simply wanting to follow Jesus. And as people saw Jesus in his life, they would know that they could trust him because they were mutually following the Savior. What does it look like for you to lead? trying to lead out of skills 
knowledge, charisma? How are you leading your family? How are you leading at work? In the organizations that you're a part of, where you're in positions to be part of trying to affect change, how are you leading? Jesus is everything. What about grace? Grace. You remember what he says? To live is Christ, to die is gain. To live is Christ, to die is gain. What a profound statement that is. I got these two quotes for you to think about that I hope would put this grace in perspective. Here's the first quote. I'm going to read a bunch of this because I want to get this verbatim. Here's the first quote to help you think about this idea of grace. Out of, the great, out of great pain comes great promise. This season is evidence of that truth. Tonight, something shifted in the atmosphere and the sweet spirit of God showed up in the house. God is doing something new in this season. Our responsibility is to be obedient to his voice and he will provide the promise. Let's summarize this. Let's break it down together. You will have pain in this life, but God will show up. Do you hear what this is saying? It sounds like my pain is disconnected from God's presence. God is doing something new. He promises to bless. Be obedient and you will get the blessing. These sound hopeful and good, but the message is so subtle. It sounds like I need to focus on self. It sounds like if I do my part, God will do his. If I don't, he won't. This is the second quote. It's also talking about pain in life. Pain that at times leads to the inevitable death. Here's the quote. The term is over. The holidays have begun. The dream is ended. This is the morning. And as he spoke, he no longer looked like a lion. Now at last, they were beginning chapter one of the great story, which no one on earth has read, which goes on forever, in which every chapter is better than the one before. Do you hear what this is saying? Do you hear what the second quote is saying? My life is in God's hands. God is with me in the pain. This life with God is preparation for eternity with God. The best is yet to come. Do you hear the difference? What God was producing in Saul is the same thing he produces in us, perpetual change. And what he changes is our commitments. He is changing us from being committed to living a man-centered life 
to a God-centered life. Paul used to think about life as rules. He used to think about relationship with God as rules and therefore relationship with other people as rules, being man-centered. And God was changing him to see that relationship with God was by grace. And that therefore relationship with others is grace. So that our lives are perpetually changing in our commitments because we are changing from thinking about life as man-centered to thinking about life as God-centered. And beloved, it is so subtle. It takes a lot of work to think clearly and to discern what the message is that you are actually hearing. And our heart is drawn to want to live for self even under the guise of Christianity. And Jesus is working into us change. Change in our commitment so that we want to be God-centered in everything. So maybe that leaves us with questions. Like questions to ponder. Where is God at work in your life probing and prodding? Where? Is he wanting you to think about how you look at other people and have a deeper view of looking at everyone as made in the image of God? Because if you start there, it will make a whole lot of sense about what's going on in our country and help cut through all the morass of the politicization of everything. It will help you think clearly about the issues of race. To start there with image of God. Is God pushing you in that way? Is he probing? What about your view of growth? Is God pushing you there? Pushing you in the trajectory you're on, whether you're actually on the side of thinking that life is about you mastering everything or are you seeing yourself as a great sinner? And at the end, you will revel in the fact that you have a great Savior and that you're being mastered by something. How are you thinking about leadership? Again, is it about Christ in whatever capacity you can in your life, no matter where you are? Thinking about leadership? What about grace? Do you want more grace and want to live by grace toward others? Maybe to turn back the clock, something we talked about a few weeks ago. What about your giving? Is God probing you, prodding you? What about prayer? Are you praying? Are you praying for other people? Are you willing to reach out to others? Are you willing to pursue others even during this time so that you're not just isolating yourself? Beloved, the power of the church and the power in our lives is always and forever will only be Jesus. 
Would you pray with me? Lord Jesus, thank you that you stop us like you stop Saul and you make us think about our lives in deep ways and you make us ponder and reflect about what's actually going on and how we're actually living and what is the message we're actually receiving and living by. Would you help us as your people to continue to follow you Would you help us to crave you? Thank you that your grace continues. Thank you that you're changing us. Help us to glory in you and what you're doing and give us eyes to see it. We pray in your name. Amen. Friends, I want to remind you that God's blessing is upon your life. If you're hearing this this morning and you love to talk more about this message, you'd like to talk about what does it mean for you to abandon who you are and be found in Jesus, I'd love to talk with you. Again, like John Paul said at the beginning, you can go to the top right corner, send me an email with the contact, and, and I'll be happy. John Paul, be ha- we will be happy to reach out to you, respond, go to lunch, whatever it is, and just talk with you about what's going on in our lives and help any way we can. But God's blessing, beloved, is upon you. God is working in your life through every avenue and everything and every day. So hear his blessing. And each morning, remind yourself that what Jesus did means something for your everyday life. That God is promising to do things in you like this. The God of peace who raised Jesus from the dead because of his blood is eternally bound to you. And through that same blood, the blood of Christ, he is equipping you with every good thing that you need to do his will. He is even working in you what is pleasing in his sight so that one day all glory will go to him and our God will be all in all. It's true because Jesus is alive. Amen. Go in his peace.